Errol Linton joins me on episode 31 of the podcast. Errol is a South London boy with roots in Jamaica. His brand of Brixton Blues music merges his Caribbean heritage with his love for the blues to create a distinctive reggae-infused form of the blues. Starting out busking on the streets of London, Errol was noticed by BBC producer John Walters, who made a documentary film about him. This led on to some airplay on BBC Radio. Errol built on this early success and has released a number of albums since the early 1990s. His two most recent albums have been released to critical acclaim, with the latest one, No Entry, recorded with a live feel. Hello, Errol Linton, and welcome to the podcast. How you doing, Neil? So, yeah, you're a Londoner. You were born in Brixton. That's where you learnt your music. And you've got Jamaican parents, yeah? So you've got this kind of fusion between the blues and the, and the Caribbean and the reggae music, yeah? Yeah, I think from the very first time I really picked up a harmonica, I think I definitely kind of blew it in, in this kind of skank rhythm. Like, I still got the tape at home somewhere, you know? Yeah, that was in the 80s. At that stage, had you heard any any harmonica at all, or did you just pick it up with the rhythms from the... Uh... No, I haven't really heard any blues harmonica then, when I got, first got that harmonica. I mean, obviously, I knew Stevie Wonder, which I always say, and stuff like that, but it's only after you get it, you start playing, and you realise you've got so much harmonica on tape. It's quite a bit on Big Youth album. singers got a couple of tracks and when i first started playing in the um in the 80s that's what i picked up before um obviously discovering more of the blues and stuff so these harmonica players with the with the reggae bands you mentioned there would they be any harmonica players we knew or was it just one of the guys picking up and playing harmonica or? yeah i couldn't i couldn't tell you who was playing harmonica there on some of them tracks i don't know I don't know who played the Staple Singers track. Obviously, I knew Stevie Wonder. And Gus's Powerpod's got a little kind of harmonica thing going there almost on his melodica. Yeah. You know, um, do you know Laurie Gorman in London there? Yeah, I've met Laurie. Yeah, I know Laurie, yeah. Yeah, I believe Laurie played with Bob Marley once. I don't know if he did a recording with him or if he just jammed with him at some point. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of harmonica on Nighty Dread, the Bob Marley album, Nighty Dread, yeah. Okay, great. So, yes, you grew up in Brixton around that area and the community there, lots of... Yeah, influences from sort of Caribbean music, yeah, and that, that's where you grew up with those rhythms. So uh, what got you uh, actually playing harmonica for the first time? Well, not the first I played harmonica, but the first sort of music. I think my, I think my uncle might have had a harmonica. Because when I started playing, I sent some back to him. He left quite early to back to Jamaica, one of the first brothers to go back. But we were brought up a lot at a Christian Pentecostal church, a very small church in, remember going to near Oval, not far from the cricket ground, Kennington's sort of oval area. That was the first sort of musical here, which is almost like um, gospel Caribbean, really. Jamaican gospel, <laughs> if you think, you know. So there's a film 
that was made in the 1970s called Pressure, yeah? And there's a clip in there. It's actually my church in Brixton, yeah? And you can actually see some members of my family and you can actually hear the music, what would be played in church at that time. Before I was harmonica as a music goes, it, it would have been a friend who sold me a harmonica. And that kind of led up to stuff when friends did me tapes. Or I went to the library, tapes and stuff, and discovered double record store. I was getting tapes at the time, so it was mainly tapes. And, uh, yeah, that was the early days of um, with the blues. Yeah, then I remember those days it. when you used to go to the library, get records at the library and record them. It was a great day. It's not like that these days, is it? Yeah, I think you still can't get records from the library, can't you? Uh, yeah, so you got your first harmonica, you say, off a friend, and then you, you started searching yeah. out blues records. Well, actually, yeah, because well, actually the first harmonica I, which I bought was from my friend was, I think it was a tremolo harp. It wasn't actually a blues harp. Oh, yeah. So I was learning that, and then I decided to get a blues harp. Maybe um, I heard some, I think the first sort of blues harp I heard was Sonny Boy Williamson 2, I think I made a tape or something. And then you do um, compilation tapes for your friends and... There's a Jolly Hooker tune on Harley and Wolf or something and Sunny Boy and I thought, ooh, hey, you know what I mean? That sort of turned me on. So did you quickly realise that the tremolo harmonica uh, you know, wasn't producing the sort of sounds that you were hearing? No, definitely not. Now, tremolos, I suppose it's more like sea shanties and folky stuff, isn't it, really? You play on that. Yeah. That, that type of harmonica. Um, you kind of play the kind of skank on it, though, like, you know? Yeah. Just so that was there from the beginning, even though it didn't even cross my mind, if you know what I mean, but later when you think about it. So that was always the influence there. Do you remember yeah. any of those early records, any particular ones that grabbed you and uh, you wanted to, to learn? Yeah, uh, well, God, there was loads. I mean, I had some Junior Wells, I had some Sonny Boy Williamson, and then I had Sonny Boy 1. Like I say, when I went to Dolbells, I'd been listening to the 40s and 50s harmonicas. But when I went to Dolbells, I found this tape, Yazoo's label, and it was harmonica blues from the 1920s and 30s. Yeah. So then I discovered, went way back, I discovered people like D. Ford, Bailey, J. Bird, Coleman, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And people like yeah. that. Yeah, so... But, uh, yeah, Sonny Terry, I love Sonny Terry, yeah. <laughs> big influence when I first started playing. Yeah, that's how I really first got to play the harmonica and sort of stuff, which is just practicing on your own at home, really, until uh, one day my friend said to me, why don't you um, go busking? I thought, nah, I couldn't do that. No way, man. And then in the end, I, I, I tried it. remember the first day I did it, I was um, busking down Green Park, and I approached this guy who was barefoot. And he had a French horn, he's playing. <laughs> I said, excuse me, mate, where's the next pitch? He turned and I went, F off. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, this is how it is. <laughs> yeah, they're very protective of those spots, these buskers, aren't they? Yeah, he was. But I got him back months later, I did the same thing to him, <laughs> when I got to know the ropes a bit. But I think I got nicked the first day, so he wasn't, 
a great day, but um, it was more than what I was making if I went to labouring or stuff like that. No, so that, I mean that's right. As you say, you started out your performances basically by going busking, which is you know yeah, a great way I mean, to learn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean I'm, well, I, I was quite shy then actually because I remember the first at least a year and a bit I had shy, I wore shades. That's how I was about playing there, just making up as I was going along. One day I was at Bond Street and some guy said to me, I think I was doing JB Hutu too. She's gone. He said, Hey man, you should do that more for you know. It sounds good. And that one guy just saying, yes, this sounds good. And I thought, well, all right then. And that's how I began to get the confidence to sing. And obviously through busking, and you meet other guys there. You say, yeah, and you um, end up busking with them. And then the gigs start. So when I first started out, like I said, the guy that started my harmonica was Tara and Bokusun, and he was playing drums at the time. I met Dave when I was busking, Dave Rose. And he, he played harmonica and he had tambourine on his foot. And he played a lot of kind of Woody Guthrie tunes, Sonny Terry tunes, Careless Love, a lot of the old stuff, you know? And then we ended up jamming together with Tara and we did a few gigs together, yeah? And the first one was the trolley stop in Stoke Newton. That was the first one we did, I think. And then later on I met um, Pigmeat Pete Smith. I got thrown out the underground and I came up at Leicester Square. And I was going through the square and then there's a guy there. I remember there's a Corrie on his push bike standing there listening. This guy's playing some really nice, mean slide guitar. That was Pete Smith. I said, do you mind if I join in? He said, yeah. So that was the first of a, another partnership with another guitarist. Because Dave was always a bit shy, stage-wise. But Pete was more accomplished, and he played in bands before and stuff. And, he's, you know, we started doing gigs. Not only local, but we started going further out, you know? Yeah. I think uh, I think that, you know, you starting out busking is really shows a lot of people. They wonder how to, you know, play with other people and get out there and get playing. And I think you've got to get yourself out there playing, haven't you? Getting yourself heard, either going to, you know, jam sessions in pubs or like you did, yeah. you know, sort of go busking. It. And that's how you meet people, yeah. So it's really interesting to hear that that's how you really progress from busking, which is, uh, you know, fantastic. Yeah, I did, yeah. That's the way I started, really. I mean, apart from just jamming at home to records, I mean, I loved music in school and stuff, but I was never really... It, it was quite big classes in school, and a lot of theory and a lot of boredom. But I knew a lot of, the, a lot of my friends were in the reggae band after... So I'll be hanging around and listen to them, piano and drum and bass. I knew the guys in the band, the school band. So um, I'll always be hanging around a bit, maybe press, press the pan a bit, but I never really into music, you know what I mean? I was into music, but I never played it. And when you were busking, sort of developing maybe your, your craft when you were busking early on, mm -hmm. these were all solo performances initially, yeah, as you say. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I played solo for ages, yeah. On my own, so I met Dave. Well, I suppose, well, it wasn't ages, I suppose it was a couple of years or a year and a half. Maybe I'm just wondering how that, you know, maybe how it develops your playing, do you think? Playing solo like that for a while. I think it's, it's good while, for your yeah. rhythm. It's really good for your rhythm, I'd say, and timing. But I used to clip my fingers a lot for mm -hmm. timing, you know, but that got to the point where I got split on one side and then I got split on the other side. I kind of had a line, two lines going down. I thought, oh, I've got to stop clicking my fingers, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Yeah. So instead of clicking, well, I was clicking and slapping my feet. So I'd be holding my harp with one hand and clicking my finger to get the timing. But I had to give that up. <laughs> Were you trying to emulate some of the plays you mentioned? Maybe like Sonny Terry, who of course did some. Oh solo yeah, of cool. stuff. So yeah. yeah, I was trying to do do stuff by them. Yeah. Yeah. Or just make up stuff, make up rhythms. And 
I say like when I first started singing, yeah, that David Hooter tune, and then obviously that that grew into a little water tune to um, Blind Boy, Fuller and Sally Terry, you know, them tunes. Uh, were you playing with any amplification when you were busking it by yourself? No, first of all, I never had amplifier. First of all, I'd be playing the uh, this acoustic harmonica, so I tended to go for high pitch harmonicas like, oh yeah, like E and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. F, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, G and A were, were not very good. E, I think it was C, B flat. You know, them sort of high keys. So you could, so the so the harmonica could get heard more because it's yeah. more, uh, yeah, it's more piercing, isn't it? The yeah, low ones are a little lost, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, you can't do as much without you need with amplification. But there was there was this band called I think they were, oh Sons of the Desert, and they were a great band. There was, it was a guy playing mandolin. Irish guy, another guy on bass, another guy on guitar, and, a, and I think a woman singing, and he, he was here, the mandolin player, said, hey man, you should get a little amp, double your money, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I got this little amp called, um, what's it called, out for lunch or something, <laughs> you just plugged it in, you know, you put the British, it was, it was about the size of a, um, a size of a little then, book yeah. or something, <laughs> yeah. first of all, yeah, but it made a difference, I could use for lower harps. Playing was, and obviously the more I play the people, the more I play the bigger amps I got and stuff. Was it here that you were heard by the guy who made the documentary? Did he hear you busking, or were you already playing in bands by the no. same time that he picked you up? Was I doing band gigs then? I might, yeah, I think I've had, uh, done gigs then. Definitely by the time I met John Waters, I think it, it was 1991. Yeah. So I've been playing for about three or four years. He came by and just dropped his card in and said, Call me. And I thought, Oh. As soon as I see the BBC, I thought, wow, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this is why you were busking, was it? Yeah, I was busking, yeah. I was busking, he threw it in where my money and, and everything was. So I gave him a call and he said, oh, uh, I think we do, it's quite good. You know what I mean? And he got something interesting about you. He said, come up to the BBC. So he said, um, come up to there, we, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about something. And then he said, yeah, I think we'd do... Um, well, first of all, he said, I think he's really, yeah, he started talking to me, I, I think you're quite good at what you're doing and stuff is interesting. You don't often see it, you know, black guy, English guy playing the blues and all that sort of stuff. He said, do you, do you fancy a beer, wine, drinks? So, yeah, we went to the pub and then he, he started talking about how he would do a documentary and stuff mm-hmm. about me. I thought, what? <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, oh, I literally just started playing, you know. And, uh, so, yeah. so just to just to let people know, listen. So there's a documentary which is called Two Generations of the Blues," and it's, I'll put a link to it on 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 the on the podcast page. Uh, and it's about you. So you were the sort of young guy playing the blues, and then I think the second half's about Big Bill Brunsy, isn't it? So there's this That's kind right. of split. Yeah, it, it, so, so yeah, people it, can check this out. So sorry, carry on with the story about the documentary. Yeah, it was called Two Generations of the Blues." First of all, they filmed me in different locations playing and stuff and then they thought look we need to do a bit of an interview to come to my house so yeah, I ain't got enough about you a bit know a bit more about you and then they decided to combine it with the big Bill Broomsey thing you know and they called it Two Generations of the Blues John Waters yeah kind of opened doors for me in a way because no one knew about me or anything and it was like all of a sudden BBC documentary that was quite weird because a lot of the blues scene didn't really know me or anything there was definitely that much reaction from it it opened doors for me to get um, gigs and so yeah, right. did that get you some uh, slots on BBC Radio as well? Because you, you got some, some airplay on some, uh, like Andy Kershaw's BBC. Yeah, uh, what it was, he went before the, we did the documentary in 91, I think the filming, and he didn't come out until 93. So in 93, 
around that time, he got me a few. Like I went on to Andy Kershaw's show, and then um, I went on to Loose Ends with um, Ned Cherin. <laughs> that was quite funny. It was really horsey, really early in the morning. Yeah, and uh, and then um, stuff like that. I think did I do a Johnny Walker one? I can't remember. But I actually went round with John Waters to promote the you know documentary. Yeah, so he was, um, he, yeah, he was a producer for all them guys, John Peel and Andy Kershaw. So he was, a, he was a face in the BBC, you know. He knew his music and stuff. Very nice guy, easy to get along with, knowledgeable in music, funny as well, funny as well. <laughs> I got on a right with him, it's good. You know? Brilliant. So uh, people listening will be encouraged to get out there busking. Eh? You might just make it. <laughs> you never know, you know. A lot of a lot of people busking. <laughs> I tell you that. Yeah, well, again, you know, it shows, isn't it? You've got to get out there playing, don't you? That's that's the message. Yeah, that's sure. it. You have to go out there, out of your house, yeah. get out of there, play. Well, playing in in the, when we could play in these times, mm-hmm. of playing out on the street or whatever, and playing, let these on to gigs and stuff. You're playing because some people want, would never do that sort of thing, like busk on the street or in because I used to underground and the street. But it can be a bit tough because in them days, you know, you used to get a lot of hassle from the police, you know. Take your travel cards and the bills used to pile up, you know. You'd be paying... one point I had, um, I think it was £1,100 outstanding for busking fines. So it's busking quite a lot fines, of money. oh wow. Yeah, it was then. Yeah. And I was... I knew the warrant officer. I won't mention his name, but he's in Campbell. But he, said, he actually phoned me up and said, don't open your door this weekend. There are warrants for uh, arrest. So then you end up in court. So come down and see me Monday morning. <laughs> wow, well, yeah. gave me that call. Do you know what I mean? Because I'd yeah. open the door and they said, right, you're Nick. In the thing. But that was that was right just before the bus it got changed over. So I actually had a license then when I had that big bill. So when I actually came up from the, the cell to the, the judge in the court, he said to me, um, well, Mr. Linton, bring your license next t- next time and we'll see what you can do. So actually, I actually got off with that fine, all, them, all that money, because I had a busking license. Right. So did you need a license then and you just didn't have one? or did they No, license? no. That was in the transition from when it came yeah. legal, yeah? I think right, it was when so Ken Livingstone was, was mayor. So busking was illegal then, was it? Legal for years, man. The police used to treat you rough, man. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I didn't realise it was illegal. Yeah, 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 yeah man. Yeah. You know, all sorts of stuff. You know, take your travel card off, you ain't got no money. Someone would be just spiteful, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, they, they were, yeah, some of them. They would be chatting to someone else, and then you'd go on the person and nick you. You know what I mean? All sorts of stuff. You just see a bit of, yeah, there was a bit of prejudice going on there. Definitely. Yeah. They, treated, they treated certain buskers different. I remember meeting some girl who played classical music, blonde headed white guy, and I thought, she had been nicked in like six months. I thought, I what? How the hell did that happen? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely know what you mean. Yeah, yeah just, there's uh, a bit of that going on yeah. down the tube. I wasn't the type of bus to be standing there chatting to the police for 20 minutes. So do you still bus now at all? No, them days are done, mate. So good, but no, you've given up with that. Give up with that. That's nah, good. Well, yeah, on to well, better things, yeah. <laughs> so we can yeah. move on a bit now to your recording career. So I understand your first recording, your, your debut, was a Homeboy Blues in 1991. Was that your album or just with somebody else? That was me, like I was saying earlier about Pete, Pigmeat Pete Smith and Tyron on Washboard. That was us three. It was a tape. It wasn't a CD or anything. It was just a tape. Yeah. We recorded at, I think, around the Peace House, I think, actually, yeah. He had a little recording thing at his house in Mill Hill. We recorded it. 
So just recording kind of at home, was it, with uh, some basic equipment? Yeah, it was, yeah. We, as a trio, we just set it busking and set it at yeah. gigs. Brilliant. By that time, we were doing gigs together. Yeah, because I'd, I'd known Pete, and I was at New Town for a long time ago, my mate. I'd met Pete before I did the John Waters thing, yeah? Because mm-hmm. Pete and Tyrone appear in the documentary as well, and we're busking yeah. outside Leicester Square somewhere. Yeah, that was the first album. It was your yeah, Homeboy Blues, yeah, Homeboy Blues, which which you can see that my pain was like then. And then the next one was um, Packing My Bags, which yeah. was recorded in 1997. Yeah, that was the vibe. It came out in album, 98. Yeah, yeah vibe in it album, yeah. So at this stage, you know, you described, I think, your music as Brixton Blues, yeah? So um, what, what is this Brixton Blues? No. Brixton Blues, yeah, I don't know, but that's, yeah, it's just like, because um, it's got a little mix with the um, Caribbean in there, see? So that's kind of always been in there in my music. It's just sort of natural to me to do it that way. It's not forced yeah. or anything, it's just, that's the way I write. So you've always had this kind of mixture of the blues with the reggae and ska sort of yeah. rhythms. and Yeah, that's right, definitely. I think it just came out in my music playing, you know. That's how yeah. it happened. They started more telling me doing them. Uh, we can hear that sort of almost like a sky rhythm in certain tunes, can't you? Anyway, rhythm yeah. blues. It really works with the blues, doesn't it? And it works with the harmonica as well. You know, what what is it you think about the the sort of reggae beats with the harmonica? Maybe that that does work so well. Well, I suppose you can do a harmonica on anything, really. I think it goes well together, doesn't it? The the reggae beat with the sort of the backbeat to some of the bluesy yeah. sort of music. And the harmonica works well in it, I think, as you said earlier oh, on, yeah, because the harmonica yeah. can be very strong rhythmically, can't it? So I think, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you grew up on doing the sort of rhythms, didn't you, on the harmonica? I think that that's what makes it work so well, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's always been a part of it. I've been more to that side than the, the rock side, if you're supposed to speak, and the foggy side more than um, the rock side. And I, I like to get people on who have a sort of bit of a different angle, and it's not all just straight blues. Some people are straight blues players, but you definitely got that. Sort oh, I love playing. I love playing the straight blues. Yeah, sure, yeah. as yeah, well, yeah. and songwriting and all that sort of stuff. So I just, I just do it the way I do it. I think if it comes out okay and the band want to do it and they're interested, I'll, I'll do it. Sometimes, you know, it, it depends on whether it works with the album. kind of songwriting in all sorts of ways I write from harmonica like Lovely True was written from harmonica One's Hey No More and It's What You Want from Roots Jew that was from the piano 3.44 in the morning that was a piano tune I yeah. from the piano packing my bass guitar so do you guitar. play these other instruments yourself or you, you write yeah I wouldn't play on the stage but I play them at home I'll be playing guitar probably longer than I'm playing harmonica <laughs> But, you know, the guys I play with, you know, they just like with the new not put me playing. Yeah. Maybe I might come and do one or two tunes. I do sometimes in the jam. But piano, no, no way as good as a piano player. But I can, I can, I can get my way around to write on it. Yeah. And both things. And I feel more comfortable just playing harmonica and singing on stage. I mean, going on to that second album, then, the, the Vibing It album, I think you wrote quite a few songs for that album, didn't you? Yeah. So how do you go on a, about writing songs and, you know, again, maybe writing sort of contemporary blues songs that are, you know, reflecting the sort of today rather than singing 1950 songs? 
I suppose it's the rhythm and, and topic of lyrics. Pardon yep. me, like packing my bags from that album. That's like it starts off in kind of like a, a rhythm and blues sort of doom, 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 sort of short four sort of rhythm, you know what I mean? And then it goes straight into kind of reggae groove. But it's got a kind of scary vibe anyway. Scary sort of rhythm and blues, the back of my bag sort of thing. And then it goes into the, the reggae groove, another different tempo, then back up to the other tempo, and then back into the double right at the end, which is another yeah. tempo. So it's got three tempos, three different rhythms, but it kind of works. I don't know how it does, but it does. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. Stuff really like My Darling as well, that one, I just heard the horn, I heard the bass line in the horn section, you know what I mean? And we and we just built that on, playing it more. I mean, but I've I played it different than the songs, different over the years, how I played them compared to how I play them now. Yeah, you've recorded that, uh, a couple of your songs a few, on a few of the albums, haven't you? Yeah. Like, my bunches on, In my past, I've been working with um, Brass Dog Records the last two albums. I've did, some, I've did songwriting stuff and they wanted me to record other stuff again. Yeah, Elmore James recorded uh, That's My Broom many times. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting boom, boom, to hear you know, how you progress by listening to the song as you, as you change yeah. it over the years. So it's quite interesting from that, that one. And, uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean... It's, what is that nice? That's like twenty odd years ago now, isn't it? So Enough scary, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Looking back on that documentary yeah. you were in, you're looking quite young on there. Yeah, I was watching it very young. Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm in my twenties when that was filmed, man. I'm in my twenties. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm in my fifties yeah. now. You know what I mean? So that was like thirty years ago, nearly. Yeah. You know, or twenty five odd years ago. Yeah. So uh, and then you did your second album, which is called Rich Stew, which had quite a, you know quite a mixture of you know the traditional you know genres again on there, isn't it? Uh, you've got this song called Roots on there, which is is it kind of reggae ska sort of one again, and some sort of dub music on there and. that album yeah the, the difficult second album I, I quite like some tunes from Roots Shoe still and we're doing a mixture of the same stuff as from vibing it really the tunes that stand out for me on that would be like um, Man Shot Down which is just like um, almost like straightforward reggae really it's got some bluesy elements in it so I'll say more reggae point you were still doing a lot of the work yourself yeah you were kind of promoting yourself booking your own gigs and everything and these just kind of self-released these, these first two albums weren't they yeah they were the, the first four albums mm -hmm. so i mean but we did that home recording with pete and tyron as a trio but after that i did another four more albums before i did the last two with brass dog in 2018 back in my bags in 2029 Oh, but these early albums got some BBC, um, again, some BBC radio playing, didn't they? So you were getting some, you know, some exposure through these. So um, Yeah, yeah, we did, yeah, through um, a lot of time. 
like at the time when the documentary opened doors to me, people yeah. got, I mean, how many guys you know got made a documentary about him playing the blues in the UK on that low level? Not anybody apart from probably Eric Clapton was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's all it's all American, isn't it? Yeah. So it was a good boost to my career for that. Definitely, yeah. So even though I wasn't as ready as I could have been, but um, I still did okay <laughs> for what I yeah. did. And then, um, and then in 2011, you reached the Mama Said album. This was with Ruby Records. Ruby Records is. My mom's name, Ruby. Me. Okay, yes, that's another one. So, yeah. so, Vibe is Ruby Records. Roots 2 yeah. is Ruby Records. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're all from Ruby Records, yeah. Right, brilliant, yeah. And so this one, uh, Mama said, was a bit of a mixture of acoustic and electric, wasn't it? So, yeah. It, was that something that the first time you tried that? Acoustic and electric, yeah, yeah. It was where the songwriting went for that one, yeah. You know, you obviously play with these kind of reggae beats, but like you say, you like the sort of straight-ahead blues, and you got the Boogie Disease on there, which is a good example of that, a good sort of blues rocker. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, Dr. Um, Ross number, yeah. Oh, it's a Dr. Ross one, yeah. Disease. And uh, yeah. Mama said, was that one that you wrote? Or? Yeah, it is, Mama said, yeah. They were the, some of the words that Mother said to me when I was younger. Cause, you know, but I think a lot of people can re- relate to it. Yeah. Got the lyrics, you know, like, uh, you put your hand in the fire, you get burned. Mum was another one was when cats say rat belly is bitter, when you want to eat your food. Which is yeah. A bit of... <laughs> Just... yeah, definitely, yeah. But I would do the gig once, and this Scottish woman come and say, was your, was your mother Scottish? <laughs> <laughs> My mum's just say the same things. I can't, you know. Yeah, I think they <laughs> all do. universal, you know what I mean? Some of them lyrics are universal, you know what I mean? Well, they're the best sort of song, though. So, yeah, great on you for writing that. Ruby, Ruby, here's her name. Raise her family right, was a hand. We were younger, she held us in our arms. So, yeah, and I think yeah. you do... Um, Sunrise on there, it, it's possibly the only um, sort of reggae vibe on there, isn't it, on that album? No, Roland Tomorrow's got a little kind of reggae link yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember now, Roland Tomorrow, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, Sunrise and J-Wise. It's two, two instrumentals. J-Wise, so, yeah, yeah. J-Wise's like a dub, isn't it? But yeah, I guess. We yeah, we, did, we, do, we, do a, we do a straightforward one, and then we, we do a dub mix of that but um, yeah they were influenced by me going to Jamaica mm-hmm. when I was in Jamaica I think 2003 yeah yeah so we did that 2011 so a lot of them songs like J-Wise and Sunrise is a lot like you know like in Jamaica like Sunrise when everything just cracks open you know what I mean hear the car cracking up some chopping something getting to yeah. work you know what I mean Sunrise and hustle and bustle and people talking and morning and you know what I mean and, do you know what I'm saying yeah Things like that, I got the idea, and that's from Sunrise.
gay-wise is 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 an area of my dad, my my granddad. Mm-hmm. He was called Doc Linton, believe it or not, and he was a butcher, and he had I think he built three or four brick houses, but one of the ones where the main family house is up on the top of the hill up in up in um, up in Kinglass, yeah. They call it Jay White. Well, they call it Jimmy Youngs, but I call it Jay White. I don't know why they call it Jimmy Youngs. I don't know why. But it's quite up on the hill, and that's where my granddad, you know, used to do. That's my dad was brought up. That's where my grandparents, my cousins, were brought up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't an easy life, you know. Dad, I think he left when he was, he was about 18, I think, or something like that. And the story is he sold a cow or something to get it. So it's almost like a blue story, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. He used to cut cane in Florida. Three of my uncles used to cut cane in Florida. After that, two of them came to England. The other one didn't never, never just went back to Jamaica. still there now. He's still alive. My parents, they're from Trelawney, so it's quite what you call cock country, which is original... When when the, when it, when that came up, that rock out of the sea, that's the original forest, the cotton country, you know what I mean? Whenever it came up, how many hundreds and hundreds of years, a thousand, whatever. There were countries, there's country my folks are from, yeah? Sure, and then and then you did, a, uh, in 2014, Dealing With That Feeling, which was uh, an acoustic album played with Adam Blake, who's your long-term guitarist. Is that a, is that a duo album? Yes, it's a duo album with me and Adam. We used to do a lot of duo gigs together. Yeah. So we thought we'd try and capture what we did. It's always nice, isn't it, to get the duo. There's plenty of space for the harmonica then, isn't there? And it's quite nice with the interaction. So I always like to hear a good duo album with the harmonica. So, yeah, good to hear that one. And then your more re- more recent albums, uh, 2018, Packing My Bag. This is on Brass Dogs record, yes. Was this the first one with them? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Tim Bullimont and the guys from um, Every Down the Brass Dogs. Me and Tim, we did two albums together, which is rare. We did two albums together on a handshake. It's really good. We just wanted to produce some good music. It was my first final pack in my bag. That was recording in Dean Street Studios mm-hmm. in um, Soho. And a similar thing, but I think we did um, about two or three days recording there. Yeah. And then more days mixing and stuff. Mm-hmm. We got um, a combination of Adam Black on guitar, Gary Williams and Kenry Roll sharing the drums, Lance Rose on bass, and Petar Zikovic on piano and organ, yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of fun recording that album. But that's my first one with Brass Dog. And he got a good reaction, got a lot of radio play from packing my bags and stuff. The um the yeah. more new newer version. The early albums are good, but you can hear there's a certain you know, the production Oh yeah, uh, it's higher on and it kinda of comes through, doesn't it? You can kinda of hear that extra production and it sounds kinda of slick and, and it sounds really great because yeah. of that. So it gives a bit more it. professionalism, doesn't it? You know, even though some mm-hmm. of the other albums there's some good tracks and stuff. Yeah, and, well, um, the early albums are good, but yeah, there's just that certain polish yeah. to it, isn't it, which just makes it sound yeah. good. And some again some some great songs on there and um and and you do I wish you would, which is a fantastic Billy Boy Arnold song which I really love. More Latin groove for his one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, yeah, I love Billy Boy Arnold. I've never seen him play, but uh, yeah, I love I love the way Billy Boy Arnold speaks as well. I like when he talks. And um, yeah, that was that was the first working with Brass Dog, and it was it was good. From that, we went off and did we did the Caris Matthews Good Life Festival in 2018, the smallest set 2018, and he asked us back to do the 2019 one, so we just smashed it. It was really good. Yeah, it was right. brilliant. We played the main stage the next time next year round. So yeah, he was getting some good. Um, Feedback from that, that album. And uh, yes, again, again, got another rocker on there. We break them down, and uh, you've got yeah. the, the three forty four in the morning, which is the sort of song about insomnia. No, it wasn't about insomnia. It's about my noisy neighbour. Oh, it was about your noisy neighbour. Okay. Coming in for a gig, came from a gig that late in the morning. I called to three in the morning. Oh yeah. It's about that really. And you knock on your neighbour's door, say turn it down. You know what I mean? They say, what you want? He's going to bed, are you? He's got in on Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't mind trying to get to bed. Yeah, but it wasn't a quarter to three in the morning, so. I just drop home by the bar. I relax and back half asleep when I heard a terrible noise. I can't get no sleep. I can't get no sleep. And then there's there's a live album which is out, which is available on the internet to listen to, uh, which, I'll, again, I'll put a link to on the podcast page called Live in London, which yeah. does a lot of the songs that, you know, that you, that, you played, that you played on your albums and a few other ones, like I'm Walking, which is a sort of classic blues song, and Rock Me, so... Yeah, that's, that's a good one to hear you playing live. Again, a really good quality recording of you doing a live gig. Yeah, that was, was that 2018 or 2017? I must be 2018, yeah. Maybe the same year. It's at the, at the Hideaway in Streatham. And then your most recent album, 2020, is the No Entry album, which, again, I think you've got a lot of good press about, haven't you? You're on the front of Mojo Magazine, which is a music magazine here in the UK. And then you recorded this in, uh, in Tow Rag Studios, yeah, and you used all kind of vintage equipment, and you sort of recorded it semi-live, didn't you, sort of over a few days, just re- capturing the live sort of feel? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we recorded everything live, apart from the percussion. Tony Ucha came into the session later. It was the same guys as last time. Lance Rolls on bass, Kenrick Rowe on drums, just Kenrick, Adam Blake guitar, Petarzik with some piano. But what we did, it was, I think it was 20, 2019, January the 2nd and 3rd, cold morning, went in and we just knocked out, like over two days, we did 15 tunes, I think 18 takes, and just tried to do like a live feel. And that was with um, Liam Watson, Grammy Award winning producer. And the studio is just great, you know, it's um, all old vintage stuff. That really sets it. Everything sounds great. It looks great. Remember which amplifier you played the harmonica through? I played the amp. The harmonica I played through amp was, was it Grampian? It's actually on the um, the No Entry album. It's a British UK amp. It just sounds lovely. I think it is Grampian. Yeah, I wanted to buy the amp. <laughs> but <laughs> Neil was saying it's, it's a good amp to stay at home. You yeah. travel well. Could we still got some more tunes in the can? Some whole club I can do some more tunes. I'll play for the amp again. But No Entry album, I suppose the name the name came about because a lot of times, you know, with all the the Windrush stuff and the um, Brexit yeah. things. I mean, most of the band are immigrants' families. 
sometimes you get a bit of a reaction. If you mess with about Brexit, I'm glad my parents left before all this Windrush stuff happened. So there's a few gigs it was a bit like one hand clap after I said that. The Narrentry came about, we couldn't think of a title, and from one of the photo sessions, a photo session we did from a mixing session, there was a photo of me with Narrentry behind me. So I thought, yeah, what's called Narrentry? Because, like what I just said, it was almost like Narrentry, wasn't it? Brexit, Windrush yeah. getting kicked out. Most of the band from immigrant families. So it fitted it perfectly with that Narrentry blues, the slow minor blues. There's this mixture. There's the first side, sort of more blues, so you had blues, yeah. and then the second side got that kind of reggae blues fusion on the second half. And, you? and there's a speakeasy song, and then uh, yeah. Howling for My Darling, which is the kind of Howling Wolf song with that kind of reggae sort of uh, beat again, isn't it? Different version again from the first album. Yeah, totally different. Yeah, but still the same song. It's um, yeah, I'm really pleased with it. The sound, the performances, the photos, the design. I think everybody did a, just did a blinding job. Production. Yeah, I'm really pleased with it. We're getting good reactions now. Obviously, it's been a hard year. This last year. Yeah. To release an album, <laughs> probably mm. the worst year ever. But we went ahead and did it anyway. We had a we put the CD out I think maybe in May and then we put the album out in October we had a reload um, vinyl and now I think it was 23rd October we, had. we were lucky it's one of them bits where we came out of lockdown and we kind of went back in again before October and we did a CD uh, album launch vinyl launch at Nels um, in West London it was rocking people would get out of their seats but they couldn't do you know what I mean so clapping became a yelp and a yelp became a stamp on the floor ah, it was mad yeah, it, was, it was really great it was really good Really good. Yeah, we're hoping that when uh, we get out playing again, it's going to be like that, isn't it? Everyone's going to be rampant oh, to get out and, wow. hear, and go out oh, and hear some music. Yeah, I was happy to play, you know, I was happy to play. Yeah, on the vinyl, have you got the vinyl copy there? Vinyl is like that. Yes, first side is mainly blues, second side is mainly reggae. We turn it over. And, that, and there's a song on there, um, Big Man's Gone, yeah, which, uh, which again you wrote the lyrics for. Maybe you want to tell us the story behind that one. Yeah, that's, that's a story about. A journey in my father. Well, he passed away quite recently, the last couple of years, few years. I mentioned his name. His name is Lucius Constantine Linton. So he passed away. And it's a journey me and my brother was taking back to go to Jamaica and, and bury him, basically. That's what that song's about. The big man's gone. My mom is so strong. So that, that's what some of the band was saying, man, you look, you're a counteraction to packing my bag in a funny, funny kind of way. And I thought, you're right. And then I think one of the songs, is it off the No Answer album, The, the Rain in Your Life? This was a, there's a good remix of this from the uh, from by Chad Jackson, yeah. Yeah, there is. There has been, yeah, a remix has come out just at the end of last year. It's a kind of DJ remix, isn't it? You're getting these kind of yeah. dance beats behind it.
Because you've done a few recordings with a, a few other, um, for example, the Trans Global Underground, the Scorch song. I think that one they actually they actually sampled Harmica from Vibe in it album. <laughs> Other album I did, I thought I'd go in for a harmonica session, they actually wanted me for a vocal session. Oh, yeah. So I sung one day, I can't remember the name of the album, The Nile Delta or something like that. Yeah, cool, yeah. And uh, you also played with uh, Joe Bonamassa, uh, the guitar player, and you recorded with him in the Abbey Road Studios. That's right, that was, that was quite recent. Last year, before this lockdown madness COVID thing started, we... Do you know what the name of the album was? Is that released now? The name of the album is called Roll T. I thought we've got a lot of the British, he's trying to go back to the British uh, R&B or blues, blues rock players. How it happened, he had a day off before he was going to go and start doing his session. And we share a booking agent and um, he wondered if he wanted to come down and see us play. So he came down to our gig we do in Brixton. We do that every Wednesday in the F for Tavern in Brixton. And he came down and he was pretty cool laid back and everything and then the second set I said you, do you want to join with that side I said you want to join the city for a couple of numbers he said yeah sure and Richie was cool about it the guitar player so that's what happened he come on and sat in with a couple of tunes there's all these people from all these blues to blues team around where are they, where are they coming from and then <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden all these faces turned up I don't need to come to the gig and they were just all there obviously they'd, they'd, they've heard the word that he was coming down yeah and then from that the session came about. I got a call for a session to do Abbey Road. First time I've been there. So that was quite good. Um, the tune I'm on on the album is called Look Out, Man. Quite a high-pitched harmonica. What is it? Is it F-sharp harmonica? So I'm in C-sharp, I think. Oh, yeah, you don't get many on that key, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it worked out okay in the end. It was a pretty cool session and everything. I was happy to be part of it. Yeah, great, yeah. Another guy you, who I haven't spoke to, who another person who I met busking was Abraham Wilson, who played on my Mama Said album, The Trumpet. He played on Through My Veins and Rolling Tomorrow on that album. And also Jay Wide, he played some trumpet on that. I met him when I was busking. It must have been in the early 2000s, 2005 or something like that. He said to me, oh, man, you, were you probably from the state side? And I did my usual thing. Yeah, man, I'm from way down south London, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, you're from London, England? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got chatting and he said he got a project coming up. With Do- he was signed to Doing Records, which is um, Doing Records is a jazz label run by um, Janine Irons and Gary Crosby which has featured a lot of the young, a lot of young jazzers that have been through the young warriors and that sort of stuff that are coming now, you know what I mean? A lot of UK jazz. I got a call about a month later, and he said, come down for rehearsal on Monday in the office, and we've got Roddy Scott showcase on Wednesday. I thought, what? <laughs> so went down, did some rehearsing, but obviously I don't read music or nothing. So he came down to my house the next day, and I kind of worked a chart out with arrows and all sorts of stuff, working out where I was coming, coming out, and what I got to do. And uh, we went and did a gig in Ronnie Scott from the Wednesday. So that was quite um, tense. Yeah. From there, we went and did more gigs. Because I think that was a showcase to get to record the album at Charlton Jazz Festival, which never really happened. 
But anyway, uh, we, we, we ended up, I ended up recording an album with him and touring with him anyway. And the album called um, Ride, a Ferris Wheel to the Modern Day Delta. Like New Orleans jazz, funk, and a little bit of hip hop in it, you know. Yeah, so different for me because I'm always used to playing as a front man. Difficult in a certain way, but yeah, it's fun. It's great, actually. Yeah, lovely brass players and that. Yeah, so. Uh, and so, um, are you playing set? You everywhere you play with these guys, and you played in, you played across the UK, and you're, you're even playing in Japan, and you played at the Walmart Festival as well, and. Uh, you did that, yeah, a couple of times, yeah. yeah. Great one, the Walmart for me. I say I prefer playing them sort of festivals than I do actual blues festivals, actually. Sometimes with them sort of festivals, just anything goes, people will groove for you if you're grooving. Do you know what I mean? They ain't, it's not all blues-orientated. Yeah. As in, you're going to get African stuff, you're going to get folk, you're going to get the whole gamut, jazz, you're going to get everything. So I love playing them sort of festivals like that, or something like Karis Matthews Festival, or the Wilderness, and places like that which are less rock guitar based yeah yeah fantastic and yeah it's, and it's uh, more open as yeah. actually a musical festival exactly people you know they they want to try out different sort of music don't they so you're a bit different aren't they you're playing a bit of blues not like every other blues band so yeah definitely can see that it's best gigs man some of their festivals man you can go and play there yeah you perfectly play the Womad. Uh, I mean from the first number people got up and you never sat back down again and people couldn't even get in the tent just like crazy yeah, you know fantastic. Our yeah. um, cool, set, we do we do some slow blues and stuff, but uh, we do quite an up tempo dancey set, really. You know what I mean? People get up and dance. So, as well as you're playing, as well, you're also quite an artist. Yeah, you 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 do. Lots of painting, uh, including lots of portraits of musicians, and also some sculpture as well. Yeah, I've been doing the art from uh, as a kid, a long time before I even picked up a harmonica. That was like my pastime. I always used to love. Um, just to get them little paint sets. There's like a blocks of colour in it, and you get one brush in it. The water, you get the water and wet it. When I was when I was a kid in the seventies, I used to love using them. You know, and when the white ran out, I'd be going. Ah. <laughs> Trust me, man. But and you know, I was used to do arty stuff when I was a kid. I loved drawing. I just kind of just kept on doing it. I actually went to college, studied it a couple of years in Brixton. Did about a year and a bit in Chelsea before they kicked me out. <laughs> Young girl used to want to be a graphic designer. That's what that's what was on my mind. That was a sort of the in word back then. They wanted to be, but it never happened. You know, busking on the streets of London. <laughs> so. A question asked each time, Errol, to people is if you had 10 minutes of practice, what would you spend those 10 minutes doing? Um, practice time with harmonica. I just pick it up when I get by to it and play along. I, mean, I did so much practicing before. When I, used to, when I used to go busking, that would keep your chops off because that is the hardest thing you can do. Yeah. It's easier playing with you've got two or three or four guys behind you. When you're there on your own <laughs> and you've got to sing, stamp your feet and blow the harmonica, that was exhausting, but I suppose it was good because you could um, 
you could put an extra few bars in here and there or stop and for a long time and come back in. You had this stuff with the privilege of that, doing your own timing and that. But actually, physically, i say busking probably, yeah, physically my hardest thing I did, yeah, when it comes to the music. Mm. A couple of hours busking, go home, get ready, go to the gig. Yeah, man, but, but yeah, I never used the um, buskers used to use um, beat boxes, you know, electric boxes with the beat. Yeah. I never used them. I just the always stomp did box my foot. The things you stomp on. Yeah, stomp on. box. This is my feet. Yeah. And um, that yeah, that was good. And um, do you have you play any chromatic harmonica at all? Yeah, only uh, third position really on it, and mess around on other stuff. No, I haven't mastered the chromatic. No. No, that's cool. Yeah, no, no I haven't. Always good to play a little bit of third position stuff, though, as you say, isn't it? Nice and easy to sort of swap over from the diatonic then. So. Yeah. Talking about gear now, then, what harmonicas do you play? Mainly blues harps. Honda oh, blues harps, mainly. And I used to play a lot of the pro harps back in the day. I find if I brought a new pro harp recently, mainly the blues harp, and I used some Leosca as well with the reggae minor. I don't really use Leosca for blues. It'd be more reggae, certain reggae tunes, yeah? So you do play different tunings to get those those minor tunings of the Oscars. Oh you? yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I use I use um, and and I got Honam minor, but Norwegian blues C minor harmonica from Honam. Yeah, so that's how that tune came about because I brought that harmonica. <laughs> really, basically, <laughs> said let me blow this now in the studio, and here we go, <laughs> and that was it. That's how it came around. Yeah, but yeah, I, I use different tunings. I always have to like trying different harmonicas, but I've never mastered the chrome mic enough before the button breaks. But I will. Uh-huh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely get one. Spend some money on a decent one. So we'll have to do more um, other stuff on the chromatic. But rather than that, but I think the blues is the blues harp is my thing. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely yeah. the blues harp and the minors and the diatonic and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, the red yeah. And do you have a, a favorite key diatonic? You mentioned earlier you used to play some high ones to get the sound projected. But any favorite key? Keys, favorite key. Love loads of them, innit? C harp. G harp, yeah, um, B flat harp's nice. A flat harp's nice as well. You an E flat, yeah. All depends on what's with the voice for me. Playing wise, yeah, I prefer the than the higher ones. I prefer the more mid range, lower ones. I still, I still use the higher ones still and get fun out of all of them. Of course, they're all they all got the different character, haven't they? Which is great. Mm. And do you play any overblows? I don't think I do. You'd have to tell me that, man. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just, so, I'm just old school, man. I don't know. No worries. I don't know. What? Probably, probably not. I don't no. know. You have, to, you have to listen to the album and tell me if I do. Uh-huh. I don't yeah. think I do. Uh, and what about the uh, embouchure you use? Are you lip pursing or tongue blocking or something else? I do both, really. I tongue block and I, and I do the, the lip pierce, yeah. I do both. I like the kind of the lip piercing one as well, the kind of sort of like Almost thinner sound, actually, isn't it? Depends, though, isn't it? And then you've got the more chunkier sound of the tumbakin. So, but I like, yeah, I think they both work on well in, in whatever song you're doing, whatever you want to play it in, you know? Uh, and amplifier-wise, what's your amplifiers of choice? My amplifier of choice, at the moment, I've got this one, a nice red amp here that was built by Ted, a friend of Adam, the guitarist. It used to be an old radio. And now it's my amplifier. So I use that. I, play, I, I use it on the Packing My Bags album and some mm-hmm. tunes on that, yeah.
it's a, it's a handmade amp from from an old radio saying "Made in Hackney." <laughs> wow! So is that, is that a small amp then? That it's a small amp, so sometimes you can't really work at bigger gigs for getting around. It doesn't push out as much, so sometimes I need a PV still. I got the old PV, and I got a bigger one as well. PV. They're the the main three amps I use. And uh, microphones, you say you you had a you use a bullet microphone. Is that any particular one? Yeah, bullet. I used to use a straightforward Shaw. I think I recorded the Shaw on vibing it. Mm-hmm. Whole album's Shaw mic. But no, I the green bullet. The, um, no, not the green bullet. Just straightforward. Um, Fifty-seven. Something like that, yeah, one of them ones. That's on the first album. The rest of the time, it's a green bullet. Or it can be, there's another cheaper one, which is, I think it's blue. I can't remember the make of it, but that, that works well as well. So yeah, that's what we use, you know, being uh, um, cheap and cheerful <laughs> when it comes to harmonicas. That's what all the old classic guys use, didn't they? They used to use these cheap mics that are using taxi ranks, apparently, you know, to get right. that sound. And everyone spends a fortune on the microphones now, and they used to play the cheapest mics they could get their hands on, I think. Yeah. So uh, it goes to show, doesn't it? Um, there you go, yeah. And what about any effects, pedals, any delay or reverb or anything else? Nah, I don't really. The other thing I use, which, which the band made me use, is this thing called Feedback Blocker. <laughs> if the battery runs out, they start moaning. So, that, so that's, that's the only thing. So I use that one. Stays on the feedback. Especially when you're in a small, like a little pub or that sort of venue, a small acoustic venue. You don't want to lose too much feedback going on. No, definitely not, no. And uh, so last question then. Obviously, we've been uh, in a very strange year in 2020, and hopefully we're going to come out of it this spring and this year. So have you got anything lined up? Any plans to get, and get out there playing again? Oh, definitely, yeah. We'll be out there again pushing his album, the um, No Entry album. I don't know how early we'll come. I hope, I hope we'll be out there, but we'll play in the Jazz Cafe in, in London, in Camden, on the 28th of March. So I don't know. I'm hoping still. We had it booked for the 5th. Of January, and he got cancelled the fall to then, so I hope we'll be out by then. And just doing your normal little gigs and stuff out there playing, yeah. I look forward to it, but yeah, we'll be definitely here on a bigger level this year, hopefully, if we get a chance to. Got some good people behind me more now than ever. Look forward to checking you out playing again. It'd be great to see you back out there and playing this year. So, uh, so thanks very much, Errol Linton, for joining me today. Sure, it's a pleasure. That's episode 31 of the podcast done. Thanks so much for listening again. And it's over to Errol Linton to play us out with the No Entry Blues. Mm-hmm.